0: That in spite of everything that is going on in this world, politically, uh, environmentally, this weekend, how many was there? Like four or five separate earthquakes that took place just this weekend. I just read before I came out here that the death toll has gone up into like 77 in Ecuador where they had a, was it a 7.7 earthquake? Devastating things happening. You consider what Russia did with the flyby this week of of a United States ship. And you just realize how tensions are mounting. It would cause anyone who does not know Christ to tremble. But if you know Jesus, He said, lift up your heads. When you see these things coming, your redemption draws nigh. Amen. He's still on the throne. How many of you know that? No one's voting Him out of office. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And of His kingdom there shall be no end. In Jesus' name. You are on the throne, Almighty God. Glorify Your name in everything that is said and done here this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And Amen. Bless the Lord. Hey, as you remain standing, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to... Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse there, Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Now, let me just tell you a couple things here before I begin. Next week is National Student Ministries Day in the Assemblies of God, the fellowship that we are in. Um, it is a day where churches will celebrate our students and student ministries. And so next Sunday, we're going to give both services to our students and they are going to be ministering to us next week. They're going to be doing worship. So come ready to dance and boogie down, okay? They're going to be doing uh, the worship. Pastor Brian, our student ministries pastor, he's going to be ministering the word of the Lord. And we are also going to be taking an offering that is going to go to our district office that will help support students that cannot afford to go to various events throughout the course of the year for students. So we want you to come with your best gift. We want you ready to just bless uh, the students all across New Jersey, but don't stay home Our our students are not the church of the future They're the church right now and we need to support them and come ready come expecting It's going to be a great day of ministry next Sunday. So I wanted you to be aware of that I also want you to know that the message. I'm going to share with you today is different, it is unique. It is not something that I typically would share on a Sunday morning. It would be something that I would be more likely to speak on a Sunday night or in the context of a Wednesday night. It wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't anything that I had been thinking about. It was nothing that I was meditating on, nothing I had been studying. But on Wednesday night, As we have been studying the book of 1 Peter, this past week, I said something that really stuck in my heart. I spent the rest of the evening considering it, and even on Thursday, which is the day that I really set my my heart for what the Lord would have us share here on Sunday morning. All throughout that day, Thursday, I just could not get away from this one thought. And it just became very obvious to me that this was the direction that the Lord wanted me to go in. This is not, again, a typical message for Sunday morning, but I just feel a a, a sense of, of urgency, even, if you will, to share this with you this morning. And I just pray that you would open up your heart and allow me to share with you what I believe the Lord would say to us today. Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 9 it says then the Lord said to Cain where is Abel your brother? and he said I do not know am I my brother's keeper? in Proverbs chapter 14 in verse 25 we read this a truthful witness saves lives but he who speaks lies is treacherous This morning, I want to share with you for a few moments a very simple message entitled, You're a Keeper. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell him, You're a Keeper. That may not mean what you think it means right now. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would be with us over these next few minutes together. That, Lord, we would receive this message in the spirit in which it is given, that, Father, we would understand our personal responsibilities before you and also to one another. That, Lord, we would destroy anything in our heart that would in any way absolve us from our responsibilities to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And that we would recognize the very sobering call that you have put upon each one of us who make up the body of Christ. I pray, Father, that our hearts should be attentive, that we would not add to nor take away from what you're saying to us today, but we would just simply receive it in the spirit that it is given to us in. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen and amen. Would you give the Lord praise in his house one more time? Amen. And before you're seated, would you turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him? In Jesus' name. I have to tell you this morning that I am approaching this subject with fear and trembling. Not because I do not believe that I have... Not really receive the mind of the Lord because again, as I said to you a moment ago, I truly believe that this is what the Lord has laid upon my heart. Um, even last night, as I was going over my notes, I I questioned it because it's so unlike me on Sunday morning. But this morning, as I went over the notes again and I just began to prepare my heart for today, I just felt like the Lord speak to my heart and say, "This is." What needs to be said? So the fear and the trembling that I feel in my heart this morning before sharing this is not that I do not feel I have the mind of the Lord. Really, it is because I know that some of you are going to just say this message is not spiritual enough. This is not a message that you're going to be shouting at. It's not a message that you're going to be looking for the nearest chandelier to swing from. I mean, it's not that kind of message Uh, But that is not my greatest concern. My greatest concern is knowing the material that I'm going to share with you today, I also recognize that it could be very easily misconstrued. That it would be very easy to take what I'm about to share with you over the next several moments and go in an unhealthy, even an ungodly, even an unbiblical direction. And yet I realize that that is true with anything that I share from this pulpit. It wouldn't matter what I said, there's always the risk of men and women taking that message and hearing what they want to hear and then leaving and misrepresenting that word. And taking it in a direction that God never intended it to be taken. And I have to leave some of that to you and God. I, I just can't, you know, withhold what I feel the Lord is speaking because there's a risk that you may take it out of context. That is between you and the Lord. I just have to declare it as clearly as I possibly can. And so as I consider the days that we are living in, Days where we need to know that our hearts are right with God, especially in light of the fact that the Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away from the faith. I feel compelled today by the Lord to share these thoughts with you this morning. And as I have already said, my prayer is that you would just simply receive them in the spirit in which they are given, that you would not seek to add to them nor take away from them, but that simply you would hear the word of the Lord today because I believe it is that important. Many of you know the story that we just read a moment ago from Genesis chapter 4. The story of two brothers named Cain and Abel. Even if you are not a Christian here this morning, even if you were never raised in the church, you are probably familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Because even in the secular world today, there are men and women who will draw from this story to give an illustration of something that they are speaking to or of. And so all of you, even if I didn't go into any detail, know at least enough about Cain and Abel that you can Just kind of walk with me through this. Of course, Abel was the faithful worshiper of God who brought the appropriate offerings before him and he was received. Cain, the faithless worshiper, brought inappropriate offerings to the Lord and was rejected. Immediately Cain's anger and jealousy and resentment began to rise up within him and God mercifully reached out to Cain one more time and and said, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your heart so filled with resentment? Why are you so downcast? This is not favoritism. I'm not being biased. This is not partiality that I'm showing here. Don't you know that if you simply come to me in the prescribed manner with the appropriate offerings, I will receive you just as I have received your brother. But if you continue to come on your terms, I'm going to reject you because I have made it very clear the way to me. Well, sadly, Cain could not be reasoned with And his resentment and his anger continue to boil up within him until it reached such a feverish pitch that he then rises up against his brother, strikes him down, and kills him. The Bible says that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground for justice. God, hearing that cry, comes to Cain once again and says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And of course, you know, Cain arrogantly and with deep pride within his heart says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Now, for the record, the answer to that question was simply, yes, you are your brother's keeper. And for the record, if you are a professing Christian today, you are your brother's keeper as well. It is amazing to me that over the last 7,000 years, men and women who call themselves Christians have done everything they can to absolve themselves from any personal responsibility to be their brother or their sister's keeper. And yet nothing that you say, nothing that you do, will ever be able to absolve you from that personal responsibility. If you are here today and you profess to be a child of God, that means that you are the sons and the daughters of the Most High God, which also means that you are sitting here today with your brothers and your sisters, and as far as God is concerned, you are your brother and your sister's keeper. And there is absolutely no way out of that. One day you will stand before the Lord and you will give an account for how well you kept watch over your brothers and your sisters of like precious faith. If there is anything that is clear in Scripture, it is certainly that, that we are our brother's keeper. Now, what does that mean? Because I think that that's important. A lot of us don't understand what it means to be our brother's keeper, and it's very hard to live up to that responsibility if you do not know what it truly means to be your brother's, your sister's keeper. The answer to the question is actually in that word keeper. In the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament, of course, was written in, the word that we translate keeper means to keep. It means to guard, it means to observe, or to give heed. You could even say there, to pay attention to, to protect, to save life. And the idea there is that we would all use whatever we have at our disposal to save someone's life, if it is possible. It also means to watch. So when the Bible says... That we are our brother's keeper. It is conveying the idea that we are to keep watch over our brothers and our sisters. That we are to guard their lives. That we are to observe their lives. That we are to pay attention and give heed to their lives. That we are to do our best to protect them. To do whatever we can to save them from anything that would seek to destroy their lives. To watch them. Now in the Hebrew language, again, that word that is interpreted there, keeper, is also translated in other portions of Scripture in other words. There are other words that are used. One of those words is the word watchman. That that word, again, in the Hebrew language that's translated keeper here in Genesis, as we're going to read in a moment, uh, is translated in Ezekiel as watchman. It's carrying the same idea, but I just love the imagery that is there. Now, some of you know this, but in ancient days to protect their cities, many times they would build high walls around their borders to protect their citizens within to make it much more difficult for enemies to bring an invasion into that city. They had these massive walls. And on those walls, day and night, they would send centuries or watchmen to stand on that wall. And it was their responsibility, day and night, to survey the horizon, to always look for an impending attack. To always be mindful of, of the horizon, to look for enemy uh, attack, for any invasion that would be coming. And it was their responsibility to send appropriate warnings to the citizens in that city if an attack was imminent. And that everyone would then respond accordingly. And so the citizens of that city, night and day, could conduct their business, could go about their daily and evening duties with a sense of peace and security, knowing that someone had their back. They didn't have to be that mindful because they knew someone was watching areas in their life that they could not watch, and that their assignment was to come alongside them and warn them if anything was to change. In the same way, we are to be watchmen over our brothers and our sisters. It is our responsibility to stand with them and to watch what they cannot watch so that they can go about their lives in the Lord with a sense of peace and safety knowing someone has their back knowing that there is actually someone that cares for their soul enough that if they see an impending attack, if they see any enemy engagement, that they would immediately be able to say, you need to be careful, there is an enemy that is seeking to devour you, and there is a safety in knowing that someone is actually watching over your heart and your life. In Jesus' name. We are to keep, we are to watch, we are to protect, we are to guard, we are to pay attention to the spiritual condition of one another. Not as judges, but as keepers. We are to watch the spiritual condition of one another and to be mutually submissive to one another. This is not just a matter of you being a brother's keeper. It is also you being kept by another or brother or sister as well. This is a mutual agreement. And if there is one thing that the Bible repeats over and over again in the Old and in the New Testament, it is this truth. We are our brother's keeper. It is the basis of what we read in Ezekiel chapter 3 verses 17 through 19. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When I say to the wicked you will surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way he shall die in his iniquity but you have delivered your soul. Now I think that A scripture that is that sobering needs clarity. It's important that we understand exactly what is being said and exactly what is not being said, lest we be condemned within our own heart and life. Notice here that we are not responsible for the decisions and the choices that men and women make with the information that we provide them. We are only responsible for making sure that that information is given to them. God is not holding you and me responsible for the choices and the decisions that men and women make in their hearts and their lives, but he is holding us responsible to making sure that when we see a brother and a sister that is wandering away from the truth, that we come alongside them and make sure that they understand that they are not in a right place with Almighty God. I'm thankful that I am not responsible for anyone's choices and decisions. Aren't you glad for that? God is not holding you responsible. But what God is saying is that if you see a professing brother or sister that is wandering, that is in a dangerous place in their walk with God, if they're not where they need to be, scripturally speaking, that you have been given a responsibility to come alongside them and to make sure that they know from the Word of God that they are in a dangerous place. What they do with that information is between them and God. God is just simply saying, you have a responsibility to communicate it. And if you don't, if you remain silent on it, not only will they die and be judged, but we'll have some things to discuss as well when you see me again. We are our brother's keeper. Again, this is the basis upon which Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Because we are our brother's keeper, because we are our sister's keeper... Paul says that we have to be careful even how we live and how we conduct ourselves, lest our life, our conduct become an occasion for someone to sin and stumble in their walk with the Lord. Now, I don't have time to go into the full context of this, but suffice to say this that in that particular time, the overwhelming majority of men and women that were coming to faith in Christ were being delivered from idolatrous worship. They were turning from their dead idols to the living God Almighty. And a part of their worship to their foreign gods, to their false gods, to their idols, was eating meat and drinking wine that had been offered to those idols in a corresponding temple or place of worship. And so when these men and women abandoned their idolatrous worship to serve the living God, there were many of these new believers that could not eat those meats and drink that wine any longer because they felt like they were compromising. They felt like they were in some way trying to serve two masters, if you will. So literally, they had to abstain from those meats and from that wine because They just felt like they were compromising their walk with God. But you had many other believers who had come out of the same idolatrous worship, but they were now mature in their faith. They had grown in their faith, and they realized that there is no other God but Jehovah. Can you say amen to that? They just came to this understanding. You know, it's all ridiculous because you don't serve any other God. There is only one God. His name is Jehovah. And so they knew that this idolatrous worship Worship was nothing, so they had no problem eating those meats and drinking those wines because it was not compromising because they served the one true and living God Almighty. But what Paul now says is, because you are your brother's keeper, you can't just allow your liberties and your freedoms in Christ to become an occasion for a weaker brother to stumble. You need to consider how you live. Because your liberty in front of a younger and immature believer could actually lead them into a place of compromise and walking away from the Lord. So what he's basically saying is you have two choices. Either abstain from it or be discreet in how you practice it so that you in no way will cause your brother to stumble because you are your brother's keeper. Okay. It is also the basis upon which Paul wrote this in Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren... If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So now he says, because we are our brother's keeper, if we see a brother or a sister that is overtaken in any kind of trespass, any kind of transgression, if we see them wandering away from the Lord, that our responsibility as mature believers, and again, this is, Open for you know some interpretation, but this is not for those who are immature. This is for those who are spiritual, who have grown in their faith. It is our responsibility to restore them back to the Lord in a spirit of gentleness, considering ourselves lest we also be tempted. And what that is simply saying there is considering your own vulnerabilities, considering your own weaknesses lest you be hard on them, lest you be overbearing towards them. So literally, he's saying as a brother's keeper, if you see a brother or sister that is wandering away from their faith, it is your responsibility as a mature believer to come alongside them in a very gentle spirit and seek to restore them back to the Lord, always remembering there but the grace of God goes I. I'm not going to be overbearing, I'm not going to be judgmental on them, but I'm going to come alongside them and help them be restored to that proper place with God they've been called to be. Now there are many other scriptures that I could give you here today, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, to demonstrate that simple truth that we are our brother's and our sister's keeper, but I'm not going to share any more than what I already have. Because I believe that these three scriptures basically sum up what it means to be your brother's keeper. That whether it is coming alongside someone who is already wandering away and speaking the truth and love to them so that they would know what they need to do, whether it is making sure that I am living my life in such a proper way that the way I live is not in any way causing someone else to stumble and to fall into sin, or whether it is to come along someone, alongside someone who has already fallen and make sure that they are restored in the spirit of gentleness, always remembering that I can fall as well, lest I be too hard on them. The simple truth remains, I am my brother's keeper. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are your brother's keeper. We have that responsibility upon us. And that is why relationships within the church are so important. And that is why developing relationships within the church is so important because it is our responsibility. And that is why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In the New King James Version, it actually capitalizes day there because it is a specific proper day that he's talking about. It is the day of the Lord or it is the day that each one of us stand before God and give an account of our lives. You do realize that one day you will stand alone before God and give an account for your life. You you know that, right? Like for those of you that just think that this is a cakewalk and you're just going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God and there's not going to be a day of reckoning, you certainly do not know your Bible. Because sinner or saint, we all will appear before God and give an account for our lives. And there will be no excuses offered There'll be no way that we can justify our actions. There'll be no one that can say, Lord, I didn't know. It was my responsibility to be my brother's keeper, my sister's keeper. God will know the truth in that moment as He always does. And we will give an account for our lives. And in light of that day approaching, the author of Hebrews says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some do, but rather let's get together the more we see that day approaching. And the older that you're getting, the the quicker that day is approaching. Can you say amen to that? And we gather together to exhort one another to stay in the faith and to consider how we might motivate one another to love God and love each other and how we might be stirred up to do good works for the glory and the honor of God. There is a camaraderie within the faith that is supposed to be there where literally I'm watching your back, you're watching my back and that literally we are caring for each other so that if anyone begins to drift, we're right there to pull them back because as good as our relationships are now, they'll be useless for all of eternity if we wander away from God. What is more important than my relationship with you now is my relationship with you in all of eternity. We need to be our brother's keeper. In Jesus' name. Now... The reason that I am sharing these things with you today is simply this, and I say this with love, I'm not angry, I am just deeply concerned and even troubled. There are some of you here today who have friends, professing Christians, and right now I am not talking about our relationship with the unbelieving world, because our first responsibility is our relationship with one another. I believe in evangelism. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that we have a responsibility to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. No one is saying that evangelism is not important, but our first responsibility is care for one another as the children of Almighty God. And there are some of you here today who have friends, again, professing Christians. Some of you have family Some of you have sons and daughters and moms and dads, brothers and sisters. They're professing Christians, but they are involved in things. They're involved with people. They act, they conduct themselves, they converse, they live, they think. They are in relationships in ways that simply are not becoming to a child of God at best and worse Things that are even putting their soul in eternal jeopardy. And you know it. It's not like guesswork. You know them, you have watched them, and you have watched them systematically drift away from the Lord. You listen to how they're talking these days. You're looking at how they're dressing these days. I know I'm a little old-fashioned, but there still is a standard, folks. And you've watched them. And it's not that you're being judgmental. It's just that slowly you've been watching the company that they keep. You've watched them date people that they shouldn't be dating. You've seen them get engaged with people they have no business engaging with. You have listened to the change in the way they talk, in the way that they live, in the places that they go. And you are deeply concerned because you know that the passion for Christ is just not there anymore. That though they profess to have a love for God, there is nothing about the way that they conduct themselves that even remotely suggests that they have met God. Folks, we have got to get to a place where we understand that not everyone that comes to church on Sunday morning and says, I love Jesus, is going to heaven. And you say, but they live a good and kind life. There are going to be a lot of good and kind people in hell one day. Because this is not about... Lifestyle, it is about a relationship with Christ Good moral people are going to spend eternity Separated from God as well folks We've got to recognize that And some of you have watched Some dear friends and families That have that have professed faith in Christ That are just wandering away And you say absolutely nothing to them You watch it and you've seen it getting worse and escalating, but you refuse to say anything. And what I hope that you recognize from this message today is far worse than their actions is your silence. Far worse than what they are doing is that you say nothing to them because now you're withholding from them the very things that are necessary to bring them back to God and to make sure that they are in the right place with Him. I love you, but the reality is some of you idolize your relationships and friendships. They're an idol to you. You worship your friendships and your relationships more than you worship God. You worship them more than you fear the Lord. And for that reason, you say nothing at all to them, and you damn their soul in the process. Now listen, I'm going to be as transparent as I can. I'm not just speaking this from the Bible. I'm speaking this from experience, Because I've done this myself. I've been there. I've been there when you've developed an unhealthy affection toward a friend. Where to the point you fear them more than you fear the Lord. There are some of you here today, you are more concerned about your friend than you are about your relationship with the Lord. There's some of you here today. You are afraid of losing that family member or that friend in your life than you are in offending Almighty God. And that's why you say nothing. You, you would rather have that friend than you would the influence of God. And so you don't say anything to them at all. And again, I'm not saying this because I'm angry. It's, I'm saying it because I am deeply concerned. Because some of you are watching your friends, professing Christians, wander as far away from God as you could ever possibly imagine, yet you say nothing because you're more concerned about them hating you than you are about God and His heart grieving in your silence. Again, I've been there. We listen to their sob stories, and in no way shape or form am I minimizing what men and women go through and what they experience i 'm not at all i 'm just simply making a point. We listen to those sob stories, and we get all caught up in the emotion, well, you don't understand what i 'm going through? You know you, you want to say to them, you shouldn't be dating that person, you shouldn't be getting married to them." But you know what they're going to say to you. They're just going to say, well, you don't know the hard life that I've had. And I just, it's just so good to have somebody who loves me. Love you right into hell. We get caught up in those stories and we start feeling with, with, with an ungodly emotion. And, and before long, we find ourselves going right along with them. And we say things like, well, God understands their situation. I've heard Christians say that. Well, we can't really judge them. We know that in normal circumstances, this would be wrong, but this is not the normal circumstance. Listen to their story. Look what their dad did. Look at their mom did. Listen to what happened to them at work. Then you'll understand why it's justified. Or we'll say things like, only God knows their heart. God knows their situation. It's not my place to judge. I wasn't called to judge them. I was just called to pray for them. So I'm not going to say anything to them. I'm just going to let them continue in a path of destruction and say absolutely nothing because I just know it's God's will for me to pray for them. The Bible says that's treachery. You're being treacherous because you're lying to them. And you say, no, no, I'm not lying to them. I haven't said anything to them. That's right. Your silence is a silent affirmation of their lifestyle. The very fact that you say nothing says it all. That I don't care for your soul. That ultimately I'm just in this for what I can get from you. That I truly don't care about you. It's treachery. The Bible says a true witness saves lives. Folks, it is true. Though we say it often, it is still the truth. You can tell men and women the truth in a loving heart. And that's what we're called to do. To come along, brothers and sisters, and tell them, I love you enough to tell you that who you're dating is wrong for you. I know that you feel something for them. But since you've been dating them, since you've been engaged to them, since you've been hanging around them, there's been a change in your attitude. There's been a change in the way that you live. You're no longer passionate about the things of God. And I love you enough to tell you that. I'm not trying to control your life. You're not where you used to be with the Lord. I've seen your attitude. I've watched how you talk. I look at the places that you go, the things that you put before your eyes. And I'm not trying to invade your business, but I care for your soul. And one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account of these things. And I want you to know the truth because the truth will set you free. In Jesus' name. Listen, I know the scriptures say, that we're not to judge one another. And that's true. You know, judge not lest you be judged. But can I just tell you that that is perhaps the most misinterpreted scripture in all the Bible. Because the issue is not here that I don't have a personal responsibility to evaluate what I see because the Bible says by their fruit you will know them. And to lovingly go to them and and plead with them to come back to where they need to be with the Lord. That's not the issue. When it says, judge not lest you be judged, it is talking about individuals that have sin in their own lives and go around judging everybody else. I have a responsibility to come alongside people that I see strain. Not just as a pastor, but just as a Christian. And say, I love you, you need to come back to where you need to be with Christ Jesus. Listen, we're no one's judge. We are their keeper. We're not their critic. We are their keeper. We're to observe their lives and speak to them truth that saves them in Jesus' name. Now listen, there's a flip side to this that some of you are going to want to lynch me on. But the truth is, Not only are you your brother's keeper, but you are to be kept by another brother another sister. Many of you have no one watching you. And that's why you bolt in here on Sunday morning, do your song and dance, and then leave as quickly as you possibly can. You don't want to build any relationship because first and foremost, you don't want to be responsible for someone else and you don't want anyone to be watching you. We're in an age that cries out authenticity, but the last thing we want is authenticity. We want to define faith the way that we are comfortable with and just live by that. We don't want anyone to actually have that place in our lives where they could come alongside us and say, Hey, there's some things going on here. There's some of you that would say, Oh, yeah, there's people watching me, but you wouldn't listen to them. You only listen to them as long as they tell you what you want to hear. But if they say something that contradicts what you want, you would immediately accuse them of judging you, and you do this to your own peril. Folks, this is not about me just watching over everybody. It is about others watching me as well. There is not one person in this room that can say, I am above Anyone watching over my life? No one in this room, including me. That's why I have elders in my life, and that's why I submit to their counsel. You don't know how many times we have wept together in diners, in homes, in in places of business as they have corrected me. I'm not perfect. And God forbid there ever come a day when I would not want someone to watch over my soul. The simple truth is that the New Testament is filled with language that calls us to authentic community where we are mutually submitted to one another. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Ephesians chapter 5. It's not on the screen, but in Ephesians chapter 5 you'll find this Beautiful verse that's tucked in there that says submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that because I have such a great reverence for God, that because I stand in awe of His majesty and would never want to bring anything before Him that would grieve His heart, understanding my own struggles, my own weaknesses, and my own blind spots, I submit myself to other men in the body of Christ, to other women in the body of Christ that can come alongside me and help me to see areas that I cannot see So that I never grieve the heart of God That's the idea Listen, we all have blind spots in our life If you think you figured it out You just are are kidding yourself We all have blind spots that we don't see well The Bible calls them sins that easily beset us You know as well as I do That there are things that you can fall into very quickly And not even see it coming until oftentimes, it's too late And that's why it's always better to have someone that's watching you, so that they're there to say, you know what, this is coming out again, you've got to stop this. My wife bought a, a, or leased a uh, Kia Sportage, we love Kias in our family, and uh, I love it. It's It's a nice ride, it's very comfortable, but it has a lot of blind spots for me where I have to position my, the, the, the seat when I'm driving. There's just a lot of blind spots. And so I never pull out until I say to Kathy, is there anything coming? Because there are just areas I can't see and I need some other eyes. And so, folks, you need to realize that you've got blind spots and you need someone riding with you in this life so that before you pull out, they'll say, Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't date him. Don't date her. Don't get engaged. It'll destroy you. And you've got to trust what you cannot see but somebody else does. We need that submission to one another. Can I just say this before I before I forget it because I didn't write this down I just want to make sure that I say it now that it's on my heart Who do you pick to watch over you? Let me just tell you family In general is not a good accountability partner Okay, some of you say well my accountability is my husband or my wife Yeah, that isn't gonna work right. Okay, just you need to know right now that that's not good now, don't misunderstand me. I love the counsel that I've received from my wife through the years. And I believe that she appreciates the counsel that I have given to her through the years. But listen, she's a lady. There are some things that she needs to discuss with other ladies. I'm a man. There's some things I need to discuss with another man. And preferably not in my family. Because with family, you know you hold back. Because you don't want there to be tension within the family. You need a godly man, a godly woman that has been living for the Lord for years. Someone that is strong. Somebody that you can look at their marriage and you can find stability. Someone you can look at their family and find stability. Someone that you can look at their walk with God and see years of faithful service to God. And then go to them and say, I don't trust myself. Please watch me. And I give you permission this day to call me on anything in Jesus' mighty name. That is important. And you say, why? Because eternity rests on this stuff, folks. The reason that people are going to wander away in the last days, the Bible is clear on this, is because the love of many will grow cold. They no longer have a love for God. They no longer have a love for one another. Why does the Bible call us to such great community? Let me go through these quickly. This is no way exhaustive, but can I just give you a few things that the Bible says about why we need community? Number one, to keep us from living for ourselves and rejecting wise counsel. Left alone, you'll live selfishly. You'll always put your needs ahead of everybody else, and you'll reject all wise counsel. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. All I need to know about a man or a woman in their walk with God is do they submit themselves? Do they build relationships are they always looking to find greater relationships within the body of Christ? If so, then I know they're at least attempting to live a godly life and to live by wise judgment. But someone who pops in on Sunday morning, pops right out when it's all over, all I know about them is they're seeking their own desire and they rage against all godly counsel. Why do we need each other? To make wise decisions. Proverbs 11 and verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. The next four, I'm just going to give you you, uh, them very quickly. And then I'm going to read the portion of Scripture from which they all derive from. And these are all that I'm going to comment on. To accomplish more in life. You can always accomplish more in life if there's someone watching you. To lift each other up when we stumble, to be a shelter in the storm, to be a comrade in the fight. This is why we need one another. And I find this from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, where the wisest man that ever walked on the face of the earth saved Jesus Christ. King Solomon said this Two are better than one. So you think about this man who's aged whose life is basically falling apart at this time and one of the conclusions he's made after he's made a wreck of his life is two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Again, some of you sabotage your life and your relationships and your jobs because you just do what you feel is right, what seems right to you. And there's no one that you've allowed to watch you and say, you got anger issues, dude. You lust. You got a gambling problem. And we just keep wrecking our lives. Two are better than one. You're going to be able to accomplish so much more in life for the kingdom of God when there's someone with you. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. When you stumble... You need a brother or sister that can come and help you get back on your feet again. Now, here's the thing. You can get back up on your feet alone, but you'll still be broken, which means you'll continue to fall and stumble over the same thing again and again and again and again and again. But if you have a brother there, they'll be able to help you identify what you stumble over so that you never stumble again in Jesus' name. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Well, this is a little different. I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I would couch this one. That might be a little more bonding than we all are looking for. You can get a little awkward. But here's the idea that came to my heart is that everyone goes through a storm. Everyone goes through crisis. And when you're going through storms, I don't know about you, but I don't trust myself to make good decisions. Because your feelings are all over the place. There are thoughts that are going just as fast as you could imagine. So I don't trust myself in a storm to make the right decision because the only thing that is on my mind is getting out of the storm. I need a godly man in my life who will come and tell me how to navigate the storm that I am in. In Jesus' name. And then I love this last one. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know what I like about this is that it doesn't take many. In fact, I will say this. I forgot to say it in the first service. But the more friends you accumulate, the more watered down your counsel will become. I am friendly with everyone, but there are only a few friends that I really have. You need at least one solid man or solid woman in your life, preferably two solid men or solid women to really stand with you in life. Those are the people that you open up your heart to. Those are the people that you share your struggles with. And they shouldn't be family again. They should be mature, godly, you know, God fearing men and women, you have them there because if you try to go at this spiritual war alone, you're going to be picked apart. You're going to fall very quickly. You're going to be overpowered by just, if you're just alone. But if you have two, then that threefold cord is not quickly broken. Folks, we got to realize we are in a spiritual war today. This is the fight for all of eternity. And it's time for us to start taking it seriously and saying, no, soldier would ever go into battle as just one person. They've got to have two. They've got to have three. And I do not dare to engage the enemy in this hour alone. I want a couple of godly men with me that can bring me through this in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I know, I know that some of you right now, you're just saying, well, I've got God, and if God's for me, who can be against me? No one is minimizing the need of the Lord in our lives. But can I tell you the same God that says, I am for you, not against you, is the same God that says it's not good for man to be alone. So obviously, God realizes that by His Spirit living in another godly man, He can do much more. In Jesus' name. Folks, listen. I don't have the scripture down. It, it, it's in Jude verses 22 and th- 23. And it was just on my heart this morning, so I didn't get it on the PowerPoint. But here's what it says And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What does that mean? It means that there are some people in your life that though they are wandering their heart is still tender And all that it would need is just some Loving kindness towards them to get them back to where they need to be Other people They are so far and deep into that sin That it has a hold of them and you're going to have to be a little stronger But either way You can't stay silent any longer you got to love them enough to say you are in a dangerous place and you need to be right with God. Now, this was my concern of this message is that it would be easy to take this as a license to go out and wreak havoc on everyone that you don't agree with, okay? Like I just know the hearts of some of you. Some of you are just wringing your hands right now and you're plotting and you're planning and you're scheming your next attack. Pastor Kurt just gave me carte blanche. I am now judge, jury, and executioner and I can go to anybody and call them on anything that I don't like. Can I just say this? If that's you, you do not know what spirit you're of. And you are in a worse spiritual condition than the person you're judging. I'm going to tell you this. This should be the hardest thing you ever do. This should be like the last resort. You should never go if it comes... If this comes easy to you, like and, and you kind of relish the thought of going to somebody, there's something wrong with you. Like... I won't say that you're not a believer but I'm going to say you're in a dangerous place because this should never come easy. This should be something that you you pray through with tears. This should be something that you approach with great fear and trembling and really the only thing that should give you courage is seeing that brother or that sister come back to a passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Other than that you have no business going to anyone. So Here's what I'm going to do in just these next few moments, okay? I want to give you a very quick checklist. Can I do that? I want to give you a checklist that you can just run through to gauge your heart, to see if it's in the right place, to see if you can go to that individual and talk to him. And what I would say is long before you ever have that conversation, you need to sit down and go through this list and say, Lord, search me. Because we want to be able to engage people that we love, but we want to do it in the right spirit, or we'll bring worse damage than ever before. So here's the checklist. All right, write these down. Number one, make sure that you have an established relationship with them. You should never approach anyone that you have not built up a relationship with. Okay? Because there's so much of this that has to do with trust. And if somebody is going to receive a word from me, they have to trust me. They have to know that I truly love them and have their best interest in mind. You need an established relationship with them. Let's say that, that and I don't have a problem, and Paul has never done anything to offend me, but let's just say that my brother Paul over here was was caught up into something you know and i didn't have any relationship with him how offensive would it be for me to come in and point out flaws in him when i don't even know him when he doesn't know me He needs to know that I know the ins and outs of his life, the experiences of his life, the context of his life, so that my counsel is actually accurate. And he needs to know that I really genuinely love him. I mean, there has to be that trust factor. So you have no right to go to anyone you have built no relationship with. And that's why extending your involvement in the church beyond Sunday morning is so important. And again, you're not going to be able to come to the Lord one day and just say, well, that's not my thing. God says, what do you mean it's not your thing? If you're my child, these are your brothers and your sisters, and you have a responsibility to them. And just because you wanted to stay home and watch the football game is not an excuse. There's got to be a relationship. Now, let me say this very quickly. That doesn't always work out. Because I may not have a relationship with Paul, but it could be that I might be in a situation one day where I see something or I hear something that Paul says that I think needs to be addressed, but I don't have a relationship with him. What do I do then? Do I just stay silent or do I act upon it? Well, let me just tell you what I think I would do. If I didn't have a relationship, and my situation's a little bit different as a pastor, because as a a Pastor, most people expect me that even if I don't know them on a personal level, if, they, if I see something, they want me to come and say something to them. But if I were just a, a, a parishioner, and please don't take that offensively. I don't mean that I'm superior and you're weaker. That's not that. But if I were a regular church attender, and this was my church, and I just was involved, and Paul did something that I I thought, man, that's something I probably... Somebody should probably talk to him, but I have no relationship with him. I'll tell you what I would do. I would seek out a mutual friend, someone that I know and someone that they know. Okay, you know, a mutual friend. And I would go to that friend and say, listen, you know what? I heard Paul say something the other day. I saw Paul somewhere. I saw him doing something, and I'm really concerned. And I know you know him better than I know him. And what I'm hoping is that you would be willing to sit with me and with him so that we can work this out together. And if they say, well, what's the issue? No, I need you to tell me that you'll do it first. Because if I share with you information and you're not willing to do it, I'm just gossiping. And by the way, if you start talking about this with everybody, you're a gossip. And the Bible says that you're an abomination to God. Just... (laughs) So you'll know that. God hates gossip. Some of you haven't read that in your Bible yet. It is an abomination to God to sow discord. What I'm looking for is someone that can come between Paul and I and that we can settle that in a godly manner in Jesus' name. So make sure there's an established relationship, okay? Here's the next one. You're going to love this one. Make sure you've dealt with your own issues first. (laughs) Long before you ever talk to anybody, you need to make sure you've dealt with your own issues first. And I'm not just making that up. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look. A plank is in your own eye. You're a hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What Jesus was making very clear there is that if you've got an issue in your life, your issue is worse than your brother's issue. He likens it to, to having a, a piece of sawdust in your eye as opposed to having a plank in your eye. And he says, why are you trying to dig out all of the, the sawdust that's in your brother's eye when you've got a whole board in your own eye? He says, you make sure that you deal with your mess first so that you can more clearly help somebody with their mess. In Jesus' name. We used to call them Bullies. When I was in school. And you know the the syndrome of a bully. A bully has no self-esteem. A bully feels bad about themselves. And the only way they can feel better about themselves. Is to bully everybody else. I'm going to put everybody down. So that I can feel better about me. And there are bullies all through the church. Sadly. And I'm talking about the church at large. Prayerfully there's. Very few here. But they're bullies. That they've got a mess on their own hands and they feel guilt. And the only way they can feel better about their mess is by pointing everybody else's mess out. It makes them feel better. I dealt with that. When I first came here, you got to remember... I was just green. I had never pastored a church before. I'd never been down this road. And so I didn't know what was proper, what was appropriate, how to handle some issues. And there was a guy in a position of leadership that I kind of befriended. And that individual just felt like, sadly, once we began to develop a relationship, it was his responsibility every few months to come around and tell me how bad I was as a pastor. You know, and he just would come in and just lay it all out on me. And, and never any kind of grace, never any kind of solution, just would go line by line of all the failures that I had made as a pastor. And that's what he felt he needed to do. And I'll never forget the last time that that happened. I went away for a couple of weeks to Maine on vacation. When I came back, a major, major sin was confessed by this individual. And it was then that I realized that the most judgmental, the most critical people in the church are the ones that are filled with sin. And the only way they can feel better about themselves is by tearing everyone else down. You have no right to go to anyone until you've cleaned up your own mess. And then you are better at helping them clean up their little mess. Come on, everybody. Say amen. Third, make sure it's done in love. Make sure it's done in love. (laughs) Let me ask you. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, listen, I got something to say to you. But before I say it, I want you to know I'm telling you this in love. You ever had anybody say that? I'm telling you this in love. My experience... When anybody comes to me and says, I'm telling you this in love, buckle up. This is going to be nothing but love. <laughs> okay, This is going to no, nothing about love at all. Because if it is love, I shouldn't have to tell you. I should be able to communicate it in such a way that when I'm through, there may be a, de- a sense of conviction upon your heart, but you know that I love you. It should be couched in such a way that you know I'm for you, not against you. And a lot of that has to do with offering a solution. A lot of people are really good in pointing out all of the things that you've done wrong, but they're not very good in telling you how you can get built back up again in Jesus' name. What is love anyway? Love is disinterested benevolence. It is emptied of all selfish interests, which means that I should never approach you as long as I'm in the equation. I should only come to you when I am actually concerned about your life. And that's why I, I, have, I have said through the years that you should never do anything, you should never deal with anything until there comes that moment when you're only considering them. And, and being the best that they are called to be. Who wants to listen to somebody criticize them but offer absolutely no hope? What would be so much better is to come up to Paul, my brother, and say, Paul, listen, you know, I count you a brother. I love you. We've known each other for years. And I think that God has got some great plans for your life. And when I consider your gifts and your talents, my goodness, God could do some great things in your life. But you know what? every once in a while that little temper of yours man or that that way that you talk to people though that's not true because if anybody's ever met Paul he's one of the most gracious men in here you know and he's just my friend but when I I just could say to him this thing it gets in there but you know what Paul I'm not giving up on you I'm going to be your brother. What can I do? What can I do to be a part of your restoration? Because there is nothing that I want to see more than you being all you can be in Jesus Christ. Man, that's the kind of person I want talking to me. Not the person that comes and beats me up. I'll never forget. This happened a number of years ago now. But one Saturday morning I got a knock at my door and I went to the door and there was a guy there and he says pastor I know it's Saturday but can I talk to you for a minute sure I invited him down into the basement and he was shaken like he was so angry he was shaken and I said, what is the matter? And he went on to tell me that the night before, he and his wife and some other couples and some other individuals were at a, a gathering of other people from Bethel. And as they were playing some games, this one individual that we know knew both very well said something that, that his wife and he took, you know, offensively. They were really upset. I said, Pastor, he said something totally, uh, you know, uh, inappropriate. And I said, well, well, what is it? And he told me what it was. And I said, you know, you're right. That probably shouldn't have been said. But let me ask you something. How many years have you known him? So many years. Well, I've known him that long too. In all the years that you've known this brother, has he ever said anything inappropriate? No. Does he love Jesus with all of his heart? You know, do you think that it's possible that he said something that he meant one way. You took it another way. And that this is more a misunderstanding than it is anything. And he says, you know what? That's possible. I said, listen, I grew up in a rural town in northern Maine. And there are some things that we say up there that are appropriate there. If I said them down here, here in South Jersey and South Philly, they'd slap me silly. I said, but, but that's, just, that's just location. And I said, you're taking this too far. Besides that, you're too angry. I said, don't say a word to him until it doesn't bother you anymore. And I said, and then if you still feel you need to go to him, then you're at least going to him in the right spirit. And he said, you're right, Pastor Kurt. Thank you. And he left my house and drove right over to the guy's house and tore him apart. thank you for wasting an hour of my day. What good is counsel if nobody listens to it? Listen, I'm going to share you my heart. You know I'm an emotional man. You know it. And because of that, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but if something's bothering me, I don't sleep well. Any of you like that? I just, I don't sleep well. It just bothers me. So I have made a point that I will say nothing Until I return to my normal sleep habits, I just won't I won't say anything and guess what even after that I won't say a word to anybody As long as it still is bothering me as long as i'm still thinking about it I will not address anything until I go a few days and not even think about it And then i'm kind of reminded because then I know It's not about me Because I should never go to anyone because I need satisfaction. I should go to someone only when they know I'm on your team. And I want you to succeed in Jesus' name. That's real love. Last two, and I'm gonna I'm not even gonna comment them. Make sure restoration is the goal. Make sure restoration is the goal. We're not in the business of revenge we're in the business of restoration. So if you're going for a pound of flesh, you're not walking with the Lord. Make sure, and then the last one, make sure you can accept correction as well. You have no right to speak to anyone unless you're willing to be spoken to. Are you teachable? Because if you are not teachable, you have no right to speak to anyone else about their life. Now, that's a quick list, but you go through them long before you ever enter into the conversation. And then, having tested your heart, if you feel that you need to say something, go to them. Because some of you've got some friends that are far away from the Lord, but they're professing to be Christians. You've got to get engaged, you got to get involved. And some of you need to submit yourself to other people because you're wandering too. Listen to this, and we're closing. James 5, verse 19 says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You're your brother's keeper. Let's love each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed. Just take two minutes not even I just want you to ask yourself two questions Lord am I my brother's keeper is there anyone in my life that I have absolved myself from my responsibility to speak the things to them that need to be spoken and then the second question I'd like you to ask yourself is do I listen to anyone who speaks to me